Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, the podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Poison. for joining us on 1991 Movie Rewind. Poison consists of three separate intercut segments. In one, a prisoner reconnects with another inmate from their past at a juvenile detention center. In another, a film noir horror picture about a scientist who unwillingly spreads a deadly disease. And the third is a fake documentary about a young boy who murders his abusive father and literally flies away. Screenplay by Todd Haynes, directed by Todd Haynes, and premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 11th, 1991. I'll assume you haven't seen this. Have you even heard of Poison? No. I'm trying to think if I saw it at the video store. Uh, but my, my inkling is to say no as well. I know who Todd Haynes is. I've heard of him. Yeah, but I don't... <laughs> paid too much attention to him. <laughs> I got him confused with someone else. Okay. Who did you get him confused with? Peter Greenaway. Oh, okay. I thought that was him because I thought... I, I've seen Velvet Goldmine and I thought that was Peter Greenaway. I don't know. Whatever. Oh. <laughs> well, Peter Greenaway does have a movie in 1991 as well. Um, but this is, this is Todd Haynes's... Um, one of his early early career movies. I'm not sure how many he did before this, but not a whole bunch. It's this is another one that's be tough to talk about. Sort of like my own private Idaho, so probably maybe a little bit tougher because you have three different stories yeah. here that are totally different, yes. but they're cut together. Yes, to and produce was... like a cohesive whole. Or intended to possibly, I don't know, like call back to each other, mm -hmm. even though they're not plot related. No, but they all have like one common theme. Kind of. Another, um, like satanic panic type of thing. Like the the intention, I think, is to show. Um, the hysteria around homophobia yes right but what's weird is two of the three stories are very very separate from that in terms of like how they're described right because like the little boy who kills his father there's nothing that directly says he's homosexual at all yeah right and then even like the film noir doctor there's nothing in there that insinuates that he's homosexual at all but it's the it's, subtext yeah, that you have to look into for both of those stories. Around the time when AIDS was prevalent, so I feel like that was 
the satanic panic that I'm talking like the QAnon people who are like, ugh, like I'm gonna get AIDS because you fucking touched me or something. Well, in 1991, that wasn't just crackpot theorists. That was virtually everybody who thought that. I mean, because there wasn't a lot of public research that was being spread a whole lot. Like, this is about the time when, you know, I think we talked about this before, but, like, Magic Johnson was diagnosed with HIV, and that kind of really changed the dynamic of how the public perceived things, and you started to have these specials that were geared towards children to be like, no, look, you can't get it from a toilet seat. You can't get it from sharing a drink glass. Because everybody thought that you could for a decade. Right. That's and nobody what... was nobody on this scientific community was actively trying to Right, because they were trying to like that quash it, even though it was like a serious illness and disease. But yeah, because I, I, rem- I remember we talked about this because I remember watching like some after school special about a little boy who had AIDS and he got it from like Ryan some White. surgery. Yeah, yeah. That that was it. That was also a big turning point in right. the world. So it? and then and, everyone's and that changed like, a lot about how well, how could a little? Because everyone is like, oh, only gay people get AIDS, and you know, whatever. And and then when you see like a little boy who has AIDS, they're like, but how did he get it? And it's because of poor medical practices, right? And they which, didn't know it was through blood, which went the which went the other way, uh, you know, like like. To the point where, you know, homosexual people could not donate blood at all for a long time and probably right. still can't in some communities. I think up until almost recently. Yeah, like a year or two ago. Yeah. Is when it changed. Um, so, that you know, they, they overshot it in the other direction. But, yeah, so um, that's clearly like what they're getting with, with the, doctor. the Dr. Thomas Graves horror segment. So in, on IMDb, and I, I honestly didn't look at the credits closely enough, but it's probably labeled this as well. So I apologize. But this is I'm getting it from IMDb, and it's probably from the credits. There are three segments that are labeled as Hero, which is the documentary that takes place in 1985. Yeah. Uh, you have the horror segment, which is 1940s era. They don't give a date, but it's presented like a 1940s horror um, thriller. And then you have... Uh, the segment is called Homo, that is taking place in 1913 in the prison camp. So the horror segment stars Dr. Thomas Graves, who's exploring sexuality, he's giving this presentation, and he's, quote-unquote, captured the sex drive. Like, he's found, like, some sort of, like, biochemical yeah, elixir of human thing. sexuality, yeah. And uh, what happens is he has an apprentice or an intern that comes in, Dr. Nancy Olson, who comes in to introduce herself, and he's sort of flustered, uh, you know, taken aback, or whatever it is, Um, and he, instead of grabbing for his coffee, grabs for the sex drive and drinks it, and now he's becoming this grotesque monster with boils on his face, and, you know, they call him the leper... You know, it's yeah, the murderous really, you know, leper. We're talking about leprosy because his face is like oozing and boiling over and stuff like that. Right. Um, and yeah, and it's very contagious. And if anyone catches it, then they get it. And so there's 
the subtext mm-hmm. of HIV AIDS of, you know, you can catch my sexuality, you know, because like if I'm, if I'm a homosexual and I touch you or if you kiss me or whatever, then now all of a sudden you are as well. And it's going to spread like a disease. Yeah. The whole, this whole thing. And that's, that is still a belief that's prominent amongst mostly religious zealots, but other people too. Mm-hmm. So that's the subtext for that one. The hero story about the young kid who we never see on screen at all. Um, except for a hand. I think that's him in the opening credits. Yeah, because the opening credits was Oh yeah, you do see one shot of him. Yeah. Before he's reprimanded by his grandparents. Yeah, so they show his face before he runs off. Yeah. And so I think that's like the only time it's alluded to his sexuality is like what he grabs at the end of the credit sequence. Because he was in his mom's room looking through her dresser and her things. But it seems like he's just looking for whatever. Yeah. And he's just like playing around and like trying to see what the heck is around. Yeah. Um, Like little little kids do that. I don't know. But it did kind of remind me of the start of the movie Pieces. I don't know if it reminded you of that too. It reminded me of the other movie we saw afraid of the dark sure yeah yeah but yeah also pieces because of you're looking like in the perspective of the little boy and there's like purposely low quality audio yes and in pieces which if you don't know it's a 1982 horror movie which has a lot of um post-production audio dialogue replacement so the audio is really bad although that's not on purpose spanish yeah i think it was because it was a foreign language and they might not have had the budget to even shoot like film and sound at the same time because that was tough to do back then uh even in the 80s sometimes if you have a low budget so yeah like the low quality audio and the fact that you just have like this hand this young childish hand going through adult things and then getting reprimanded for it right um, that reminded me of the opening of Pieces. Mm-hmm. But but in Pieces, the little boy's putting together a puzzle of like a naked woman. This is uh-huh. just like a little kid touching random trinkets and things on the dresser and then eventually opening the drawers and taking things out. And you just, you see the hand touching things for like 10 minutes and I was like already getting kind of annoyed because I was it was a long it was too yeah. long because that's the entire opening credit sequence is just his hand rifling through stuff and it's a long one and there's not really music or anything I don't know you hear like breathing <laughs> in that part yeah uh, I mean there is definitely music in the rest of the movie and it's really yeah in cool. that part and I was like what the hell's going on so, it, it was an odd introduction to the movie. And also, like, it, uh, if you don't know what's going to be happening, the first shot or so is from the 1940s era. And it's like this PO... It's like, it sort of looks like a Super 8 camera. You know, like you're looking through a peephole of a door and then there's a POV shot of a guy who's hiding behind some shelves and the cops are like, there he is! And then he runs away. Uh-huh. But then it transitions to this 1985 story. And neither of them have been introduced yet. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it's it's this weird 
it's your first introduction to how these stories are cut together because it's this guy trying to escape and now you have this little kid who's escaping after doing what he's doing. Yeah, because I, I associated the little kid to the prisoner, John Broom. I was like, is it him? Right, but it's not. I know, but, but yeah, like for it, like the, at the first very beginning, it's easy 20 to... to 30 minutes. I was like, oh, is this the kid now this is in the kid prison? Grown up. Right. But it wasn't. But I mean, in a way, I guess it, maybe it's supposed to be, right? Like, you know, it could have they're all kind of but it was one like in different timelines, but you I don't know. know. What I mean, like they're it's Is not, that why he was in cuz um John Broom was in a juvenile facility? But we see him. I don't remember what they said he was in there for. Me neither. All I know is. I think they did say, but I don't remember what it was. But the key thing, yeah, that you take away is that the the person who's intaking him has to write down his sexuality as homosexual. Yeah, because they don't. The way he asks, he's like, "Have you?" imbibed in the prison or something. The way he said it was just not like, what is your sexuality? And the guy didn't say homosexuality. He's just like, the way he asked it, I forgot how, but it wasn't outright. It wasn't outright, but everyone knew what he meant. Yeah. And, and the guy, John Broom, who's the lead in, in the in this prison segment, he's like, yeah, whatever. Like, Yeah, yeah he's just kind of like, yeah, I... It is me. Did yeah. any, anything or everything. And then the guy, you see the guy write down homo. And I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. And he's like, is this two words or one word? Yeah. And, and then. Like, like you should yeah. know. <laughs> but, I mean, if this, this is part is, of your job, you should know. This was like, what, in the 30, I don't know. 1913. 1913. Okay. <laughs> so he was At like, least when that first part starts. Yeah. Because it's actually multiple. Um. Multiple parts with that because there's there's the juvenile side of things and then there's like a flash forward to him in a different institution because he was in uh, I think I wrote down the name of the place I don't know the names of the prisons so if you have, I just know he was a ju in a juvenile facility and Batten then, was the juvenile yeah, facility Batten what... something for boys and basically all of them were gay. So it made it sound like it was a potential, um, oh, like a like a conversion conversion therapy camp. type of a place, on top of, you know, institutional, and then he was in some other prison which I can't remember the name of. I'm sure I have that written down here somewhere too, but I can't find it in my sea of notes yet. Anyway, and that story is based off of various novels by this French novelist by the name of Jean Genet. Did you get that information? I just knew that like he Jean Genet is credited in in the movie uh, as like an inspiration. So the movie's inspired by the novels of Jean Genet and there's quotations from multiple works of his in this Miracle right. of the Rose, Our Lady of the Flowers, and the Thief's Journal. That's what I wrote down. And this is kind of like a, I guess, semi-autobiographical. So in, because Jean Genet was in a detention and military service during the 20s. 
Yeah, because I, I show he was born in 1910. Yeah. So, you know, this story takes place only like when he would have been three years old. So obviously some of the dates have been shifted. Right. And the other, I don't know if this was like um, another commentary, but whenever they showed them at the juvenile facility, it looked as if it was during Adam and Eve times. It was, everything was all, it looked biblical to me. I don't know. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it, it just looked like vines and things. I was like, where, I know it's called Batten, but I was like, where is this geographically? <laughs> it looks like they were in some other world. Well, I, yeah, I think it's, it was very nature forward, right? Yeah. yeah. Like you were saying, like a lot of, and virtually every shot that we see in there is an outdoor setting. It kind of looks like a high quality uh, high school or college production. Yeah. You know, like it looks it's, like it's on this on the stage of something and you see all these different like just vines everywhere mm-hmm. and stone walls. I don't know if that's also <laughs> another. But then it's also kind of like the lighting is what got me. It it seemed ethereal mm-hmm. or something to me. And that's why I was like is this some sort of commentary to like the Bible or something. It, it certainly could be. It also could just mean that like contrasting to where they are now in the actual prison where it's more dark and gloomy and, yeah. and just shut off and dark, you know, that could just be part of his memory of like a happier time, you know, like maybe it's meant to insinuate like this is... I feel yeah, like, like the juvenile facility was a worse time than... <laughs> I don't know, because, like, John Broom has more control in the present day than what he did at the time. Yeah. But he had a husband. They show him, like, getting married, like, in the first scene. So, like, he had, like, a, you know, an in, in-batten husband. Um, and he's, like, overseeing all these things. And most of the bad stuff that happened wasn't to John Broom. It was to the other guy that comes in. And, that he has a crush on, yeah. That, that he comes across later, Jack Bolton. And, and that becomes like a weird complicated relationship from their past that we get hints of as we go along. Yeah. Um, which I still didn't completely get heads or tails of all of the different dynamics of what happened and what, what didn't there. Like what, how, yeah, I don't know. How did that story end between John Broom and Jack Bolton? It didn't I seem thought... positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, at all. Um, <laughs> so but, I mean, none, none of the endings seemed r- positive, except for maybe the first one with the little kid, where the mom is like, I feel relieved, because I feel like my child it was, like, an angel. Yeah, a guardian, like a, a literal guardian. guardian angel. Yeah, there's this one line that she says, like, I didn't know what he was. Yeah. And, and it, it seemed ominous when she says it because she pauses and the way that she delivers is like, I didn't know what he was, which made you, again, it's like an allusion to, you know, like homosexuality is bad. Yeah. But then like the next line is that, that he's a gift from God. Yes. Um, and that's a really interesting 
thing. And now, you know, we learn now, we learn why she thinks that later on is because of the, the child the reason, saving her. Yeah, the reason why he death. killed his father. But it's also like this this weird thing of, I don't know, I, I got the impression of don't judge your parents either. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. You know, like, I mean, cause... You, you never exactly know how someone's going to react to your sexuality until they do. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you, you may have the impression that it's going to be negative, but maybe they're going to be okay with it. Um, that's that's the kind of thing I got from that. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking things because I'm trying to find more meaning. Meaning behind all this? Yeah. Yeah, and, and whatever. I wanted to, I mean, I read so many random reviews. I just wanted mm. to know why, I wanted like an interview with Todd Haynes, like someone asking him why he did the three stories like this. Instead of like separate? Yeah. I, I can only imagine it's to show that like this is like a timeless thing. Like, maybe the, you know, like, the times are changing, and things progress in the world, but overall, it's still an undying battle, you know, that no matter what era you're in, even obviously 2023, there's still struggles, there's still commonalities Mm -hmm. in those things, Um, and so you can find these connections, and that's what he uses to jump from one story to another. It's like a line of dialogue or a situation that he then uses to cut in between these stories. And some of these stories are only on the screen for like a minute or two before you move on to the next one. Because there's some sort of jumping off point that the other one uses. And it creates an interesting situation where I found myself wanting certain stories to show up more than others. Yeah, I wanted to know more about the little boy. <laughs> yeah. And, I... like, the the doctor one, I was like, okay, this is like a Hitchcock film or something. And I kind of see where it's going. Yeah, it was very much telegraphed right from the start. Yeah. You know, it's either going to be a Jekyll and Hyde type of a thing, or it's going to be what kind is sort of like a tamed down version of Cronenberg's Shivers, where yeah, uh, you yeah. know, like, whoever gets touched with the sex drive now also becomes this lecherous pervert who's going around, and so it's like spreading more and more, and everyone has their boils on their face and stuff like that, and sometimes it kills people. Mm-hmm. So. It's like a very toned version of that. There's such different qualities in each one, too. Like, the 1913 prison sequence is the most contemporary in terms of filmmaking, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, it's, it's treated like a modern-day period piece film. The black and white horror segments are meant to look like a 1940s horror movie. Uh, They're shot 
extremely well with that. They have like everything you would want to see, like the dynamic angles, you have the montages, you have the lighting and the, and the, the contrast and you have the, the music. And you also have, like we talked about before, the low res audio, like the, the, the really crackly, you know, it sounds like it was actually recorded on really old stuff. Yeah. And same thing with the, uh, the documentary. It's very grainy. It's probably shot on, if the rest of the movie is shot on 35, this was probably shot on 16 millimeter to give it that extra bit of grain. Um, you know, the colors are, are kind of tempered because of that. Again, you have like this narrator who's talking very close to the mic. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's peaking because it's using low rent audio equipment that a student would have access to when they're making their documentary. And it really creates this interesting, I don't know, like, each one has its own personality. Each story has its own very distinct personality to it. It, the documentary one reminded me of just watching an episode of Unsolved Mysteries. It did, yeah. Like the yeah, the original one, because it kind of had that type of graininess. I don't mm -hmm. know. Yeah, and the reenactments. Yeah. It's. It's it, it's it's fascinating to watch this this movie just like. I was glued to the screen just because of how the movie was constructed and, and all the different techniques that were used in this whole thing. Yeah, and even just with the documentary part, it also reminded me of Zentropa because there's one part where the little boy, like we're in the perspective of the little boy and he's walking in, watching his parents like having sex or whatever. And the door is opening and on the mm. other end, mm -hmm. that's when... You can obviously tell, like, it was pre-filmed, like, how Zentropa was with the gun, you know? Yeah. Or Europa. Yeah, or, yeah Europa. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was well, no, that's the alternate name. So. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of that. Um, but yeah, so, like, yeah, it's um, a pre-existing projection. Yeah. Or possibly, in this case, like, a composite green screen that, so the, the this the child who's opening the door doesn't actually see anything possibly but there it's definitely shot separately because you can see like a zoom in yeah it zooms in on the mom's the, face the like you don't really see the dad at all very very little yeah he's mostly like has the back turned yeah and that's when um well the kid doesn't kill the father right then and there it's like when the fa the father starts hitting the mother that's and choking when, yeah that's when the child kills the father yeah it's really just masterful filmmaking all around uh just all of the different quirks to it i think all of the period homages were amazing i think the fact that you can really have these three very distinct stories that feel like very distinct stories but still come together in some sort of a cohesive fashion is, is amazing to me mm. i think also that the the prison one was a lot more i think like you said probably taken more from the jean genet side of things because it really felt more 
writerly. It felt more... Like a story. Yes. Yeah, the narration in that had um, that author quality to it. <laughs> but, I mean, that's that's what adds to the charm of it. I, I would agree. I, I would say that probably story-wise, the documentary was my favorite. Yeah. Filmmaking-wise, I think the horror one was my favorite. But we spent the most time with the prison. Yeah, that was... Even though I don't know what happens at the end. <laughs> it's... It's just kind of like... The flashbacks the are, ones, are tougher to see because, yeah. like... Even though he's narrating things, he doesn't really narrate some of these key sequences that happens. So we know that there's history between John Broom, who's our protagonist, I guess, and then Jack Bolton, who's this guy who comes in later to this maximum security prison. This is like 16 years later, so I guess this is now 1929, 1930. Yeah, which is kind of when the book was written. So... There's history there, and, and because of the lack of narration for some of these things, I lost a little bit of the thread, I'll be honest. So John Broom, in Batten, marries this guy named Van Roven, um, and either Bolton has an affair with Van Roven, or... Like, I'm not sure who was the instigator because of the way it was shot. Yeah. And I think I just looked away at the wrong time and I didn't catch a key shot of that. But someone cheated on... Either either John Bolton forced Van Roven into this relationship or Van Roven cheated with Bolton. Yeah, and that's why he's being bullied hardcore. But Bolton was also bullied hardcore... In general, yeah, at Banton by the entire place, yeah. Um, but we never see Broom take advantage or be there. He's just sort of He's watching, watching from the bushes. But that's why I was like, is he the one making these other people do it? I don't know. Or does he just like hold some resentment for? Or he's Van just... Roven's involvement with him. And he's, like, okay with it, and he, like, pretends to be buddy-buddy, but then at the end turns on him, and he's like, look, I, like, I don't know. Or is it, okay, this is kind of, like, this is another perspective. It's kind of, um, like, is he internalizing his, like, he actually likes him or loves him, but he doesn't do anything about it? That's kind of what I was getting when they were in the prison in like nineteen thirty. Like until he, the like end, internalizing like I... his, he's like, I don't want to have these feelings for this guy, but I do. I'm kind of with you until until near the end, because this movie gets explicit. Yeah. Near the end, all right. So there's there's a a, a part where they're all sleeping on the floor it's it's not just those two but i guess multiple other inmates are on the floor somewhere yeah i was also wondering what type of prison is this because they're kind of like around doing whatever the hell they want to do i don't know 
Um, but anyway, Broom takes advantage of Bolton and gropes him in his sleep. Bolton doesn't wake up, or at least doesn't open his eyes, and at some point, like, he just reaches down his shorts and, and just starts stroking. Mm-hmm. And uh, evidently we watched, like, the, the actual theatrical cut because in other versions that shot of the oh, that penis isn't even shown. Oh, the, <laughs> it's not even shown. Yeah, the, the, the shot of the penis coming out of the, the shorts with the hand around it is not shown in other versions. Um, but Prime has the real one, I guess, or the original. So they make it seem like he has some sort of an affection for him, but maybe that was just him purposely using him or, or making Bolton let his guard down. Because, you know, one of the last scenes that we see is that they fight each other. Yeah. And he's, like, slapping and choking, and then he pins Bolton, and then he, like, forces himself inside. That's what I was saying. Is this, like, some internalized... And Bolton is not happy about it. <laughs> misogyny or Like, I... Like, trying to... Like, that's what I'm thinking. Is this, like, another just way of being, like, trying to stay in the closet, quote-unquote? I don't know. I don't know. I think it's, like... This is just, like... Is that another... I felt it was like a long-term revenge play. Okay. From from Bolton, or from Broom to Bolton? Yeah. It's like you... Like you you were the reason my husband. my husband cheated. Yeah, so now I'm gonna like seduce you. Right. But then beat but the shit I'm, out of you. But now I'm, yeah, I'm beating the shit out of you and now like I... Like I or is it just like... Say. Maybe he hates that he he's also being seduced by Bolton. It could be. Oh, yeah, it, it could I, have been. Yeah, it, it could be self hatred of of what's yeah, like what his I feelings hate are. That I'm also in love with this guy that my husband had an affair with. Could be. But I mean, after that, we see the the disturbing flashback of. All the people spitting on that was Bolton. like the I couldn't even watch that I was like, and that scene was also too long. It was very very long. And I was like, this happened. That had to have happened in real like that had to have happened in reality. Yeah, but I think the more explicit version that's alluded to, because in the movie it's all spit, but when you see the counter shot of his face with yeah. his mouth open yeah it doesn't look like spit yes right so that probably and you also because whenever i look up this movie that screenshot is like everywhere and i'm like <laughs> i'm horrified by it but it kind of um yeah but you see the other boys spitting into his mouth and i'm like that actually happened because that's like real spit coming out of their mouths and going into this guy's mouth and i was like Ugh. it's disgusting even with like the shot counter shot yeah um but yeah i'm just i don't know i 
I was like scared for this boy. <laughs> so that that's you don't one see... of our last. Uh... Yeah, that was and, near and the Broom end. is watching all that again from the yeah. Bushes. He's what that's why he's not why participating, I'm, but he's seeing. That's it all why I'm like, is he in charge of it? Like telling them to do it, I don't but know. or he's just like complicit. He's like, I'm not gonna tell. That's why I was like, also thinking. But yeah, or could it just be like, oh well, Bolton deserves this because of what he did. Yeah. Even if he wasn't. But I want to know who's like, because even poor Bolton is being abused even by the people who are in charge of this place too well the current prison is anti-homosexuality for sure uh and so like everyone's like trying like he's really actively trying to hide the fact that he has any sort of homosexual feelings yeah past or anything um because he confronts broom about that it's like hey like shut up (laughs) you know right um so I just wanted to know what happened after the spitting scene. I'm like, if I was Broom, I would have... I mean, why couldn't you have retaliated in some sort of way? Like, why is he... allowing this? I don't know. (laughs) Not allowing it, but like going along with it. Well, he was going along with it until it got aggressive, and that happened very, very quickly. Right. And then... But By that he point, he was he was pinned, and it was too late. He can't tell anyone because they would be like, "You're a snitch," and whatever. He's like, "You are, yeah, okay. Everyone hates you because you are homosexual." Right, even though everyone there is. Not at the not at the. The new prison. I'm thinking about the old one. Oh yeah, I don't I don't know, I don't know. What after the boys spat into his mouth? Yeah, I don't. Like, I, I understand what, what you're saying, the... but I don't know what the answer is to that. I, yeah, maybe nobody cared because they're deviants. Everyone's a deviant, right? It's a, yeah, it's, but it's, I a, just, it's a disease. It's a sexual. I wanted to see him like take revenge or something on them. That's what I want to see. That's a completely different movie. And yeah. he's just like okay with it. Like, I think this I, is what I deserve. In a weird way, I think I think the revenge or the redemption comes from the boy in 1985. Because shortly after this happens and we see like him looking up into the sky, uh-huh. like the last shot we see is a POV shot of the kid in 1985 jumping out the window yeah. and flying away, looking down at his mother. So you can kind of make that connection that you know what i mean because you're intended to believe that you know there is this innate connection between these stories so So like like, he's an angel looking down so yeah i mean you could almost i don't know we need todd haynes i guess that's why that's why i was looking for a q a for this movie i don't know maybe maybe a commentary exists i really don't okay yeah didn't look for that um or maybe I couldn't find. I mean, I tried to. There's or maybe some it's just simply like, meant to be a tragedy because that's how most of these lives ended at yeah. this time period. Yeah. It's like yeah, they are punching bags. Right, and he's like, okay, I'm supposed. This is just supposed. This is to my fate. This is I can't do anything because nobody's going to help me. Everyone thinks I deserve this anyway. Yeah. Um. 
So, you know, like, if my peers think I deserve this, then what can I do? There's not much we can say about the horror story, I really don't think. I mean, like we said, it's, it's, it's very like cut and dry. Forward, even though, but, like, at the end, it gave me, um... Well, I was also thinking about David Lynch. I was thinking about Eraserhead and Elephant Man, because, like, at the end the doctor gives that speech and pretty much like kills himself like, mm-hmm. and it reminded me of the speech in like elephant man where he's like i'm not an animal mm. yeah and in this speech he's basically saying like look it's it's all in you it's always been in you like this is you know yeah it wasn't because of me right and but then he like jumps off a building but you don't see him die that just everyone's just like horrified of what he did yeah but then that was the end of that story (laughs) i think what's what's one of the weirder parts about the situation that kind of i don't know they're selling like dr gray's masks because they have him surrounded in his place they know he's the leper killer now even Mm -hmm. though he never intentionally killed anybody basically it spread because a prostitute came up to him in a bar um kissed him and then she got gunk face and then died uh and everyone started looking for him yeah um and so they find out that he's responsible because nancy tries to take him out in public and be like hey no it's okay to be who you are um yeah because she's like she's like i'm the only like, she confesses yeah. her love to she's like i love you and i don't care what you are Right. And I want the world to see that. Yeah. But everyone's disgusted by him. Yeah. So again, illusions. Yeah, commentary. Commentary. But then they sell Dr. Graves masks when they're surrounding him to arrest him. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of weird part that they're like, hey kids, pretend to be this killer. Pretend to be this homosexual yeah, like making fun. This villain. Yeah, I guess so. And then, yeah, the, the hero story. I think, the more I think about it, I, there probably are some some allusions to, to the sexuality, but they're, I don't know. They're, they're, they could be interpreted in, in multiple different ways. Basically, like, they interview some of his classmates, and they say how he, like, always got on their nerves, and how he was so manipulative and trying to, like, force things upon him like he was he wanted the kids to bully him mm. like he was asking for it and the way they presented in the movie is that he was literally asking for it. it's like hey you play the dead and you spank me mm, okay. and and i'm Do gonna keep on that... asking for that so many times until i finally just did it to make him shut up that's what like one of the kids said and so like i'm wondering like is that like a commentary of like oh well you made me do it because you are this way I didn't okay. want to do anything to you, but you offended me so much just by being who you are. Yeah, that so now I'm going to I had bully to do you. it. Yeah, it's kind of like when a... Know, like, just like pure you victim made me blaming. do it, yeah, yeah, even like though it's just Just pure like, victim blaming. Yeah. Yeah. But then I was also thinking, like, if the father ever abused the child in some way. 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously, when you have that one kid being interviewed and he says, you play the daddy and you spank me. Yeah. that's That indicates that there could be more than just spanking. But you don't, we don't know. It's not said in the movie. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's three, again, very separate stories. But, you know, you just kind of like go back and forth between them. And it's, I don't know, it's it's an interesting composition. In, in the meantime, you have a fantastic musical score throughout this whole thing. You have amazing cinematography throughout this entire thing. And uh, I wouldn't say it's a joy to watch, because it's not, but it's fascinating. This is, this, this is a movie that kind of flew under the radar. It premiered at Sundance, but it didn't go, you know, too far in the box office. It made less than a million dollars, so, you know, it kind of makes sense that we didn't hear about it. And maybe that's because it is a very experimental narrative that's about homosexual stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that didn't get a whole lot of widespread appeal back in 1991. So, um, yeah, in terms of awards, at the Sundance Film Festival, where it premiered, we actually had a date for this one. Other Sundance movies were not able to find a date. This one we have on record supposedly as being January 11th. Take that for what you will. Um, it had a win for the Grand Jury Prize of the Dramatic Category. In the Spirit Awards, later on in the year, it was nominated for Best Director and then Best First Feature uh, for Todd Haynes. Uh, talking about casting crew, there aren't a whole lot of notable actors in this. Um, we got Jen Leguizamo's fourth movie um, with us. He's one of the kids who spit on Bolton. He's credited in this movie as Damien Garcia, though. He's not listed as John Leguizamo. Um, Apparently, that's some sort of like a SAG thing. Maybe he was like trying to hide his participation for one reason or another in that, or like it was like a non-union job, so he put a different name on there. Okay. I don't know, but he's, he's, his, his character Chanchi is listed as Damian Garcia, but it is John Leguizamo. Uh, Todd Haynes is the director, writer, and also co-editor of this movie. Oscar and Golden Globe nominated for writing Far From Home. Golden Globe nominated for directing the movie Carol. Emmy nominated for writing, directing, and producing Mildred Pierce. Spirit Award nominations for Safe, Velvet Goldmine, I'm Not There, and Carol. Uh, And also nominations... uh, I'm sorry, for directing... Carol. Uh, and then also um, Spirit Award wins for Far From Heaven and I'm Not There, uh, which got the Altman Award for like cast. Uh, there are a few people in this movie that went on to do good things that were not acting. So for instance, we have this guy named Evan Dunsky, who played Dr. MacArthur in The Hero, which is the documentary segment. He had like a couple lines mm-hmm. talking about the, the little kid. Um, he went on to do a lot of writing. So he is BAFTA nominated for Nurse Jackie. This is his only acting role, but he directed The Alarmist. Uh, and then he went on to write Nurse Jackie, Banshee, CSI, and Hemlock Grove. Um, the person who played Dr. Graves, I think, did a really good job, Larry Maxwell. This is um, one of only two credits. His other one is a movie called Public Access. And then he passed away in 1995 from leukemia. Um, Nancy Olsen also did a good job in her role in the horror segment that was played by Susan Norman 
She went on. Uh, she was on the Parenthood TV show, also in the 1991 movie Knight Rider 2000, and also in Todd Haynes's Safe. Um, one of the little girls in the horror segment, remember like when they were walking down the street and they had two little girls okay, yeah. confronting them? One of those little girls uh, is a BAFTA-nominated and Sundance Award winner for the documentary Wiener, about Anthony Wiener, the politician, oh, disgraced politician. Okay. Uh, and she also has a Sundance nomination for The Flight, I'm sorry, for The Fight, um, and she's also a producer and director for Couples Therapy on TV. And that's, I'm sorry, I never even said the name. Elise Steinberg was one of those little girls. Uh, John Broom was played by Scott Renderer. I just want to say that really quickly. He's in 1991 South of Wawa, but did not do a whole lot of acting otherwise. Uh, James Lyon was Jack Bolton. He's primarily an editor rather than an actor. Uh, he did Virgin Suicides. I shot Andy Warhol um, and also co-edited this movie. Uh, and then he passed away in 2007 from AIDS-related cancer. Um, we also have a couple other of the Batten inmates who went on to do big things. Tom Cross was one of the Batten inmates. He's an Oscar winner for editing Whiplash and also nominated for editing La La Land. He's in The Greatest Showman. Uh, he did The Greatest Showman, No Time to Die, the James Bond movie in Babylon. Uh, and then Danny Michelli probably mispronouncing that, is Emmy-nominated three times over for writing SpongeBob SquarePants and has a daytime Emmy nomination for Harvey Beaks. So, a lot of people who helped Todd Haynes behind the scenes went on to do big things in their own right. Um, I do want to quickly mention the cinematography by Maurice Alberti, uh, Emmy-nominated for All Aboard Rosie's Family Cruise, Spirit Award winner for Velvet Goldmine, and The Wrestler, Nominated for We Don't Live Here Anymore. Also a Sundance win for H2 Worker and Crumb. And she also did other things like Happiness on the Independent Spectrum. And then Creed on the big budget uh, movie side of things. So we can move on to true crime and pop culture. Okay, so... This movie was released January 11th, 1991, which was a Friday. And TV-wise, this was on, on NBC. They had the NAACP Image Awards, the 23rd Annual Awards. But we do not have a TV guide to confirm this because when I looked up I looked up the 23rd NAACP Image Awards it said that it originally aired in December of 1990 and that 1991 didn't even have a presented awards and I'm wondering if that was just a repeat of the 1991 but yeah, it's, just, it's really tough to say without that secondary resource. Yeah, without... Like, websites can try yeah, the, to culminate things. Because I know this website where I get the TV listings could be wrong sometimes. Yeah. But I'm just going to talk about it anyways because I thought it was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, because when I was looking up the winners for 
this awards, I was like, all these movies are from 1989 or like early 1990. I was like, why? What was the deal here? But then that's when I went to another site and found that there was never a 1991 showing. But anyways, <laughs> the outstanding comedy series was A Different World. The other nominees were Family Matters, In Living Color, The Cosby Show, and The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Hmm. Outstanding drama series, miniseries, or TV movie, which was The Women of Brewster Place, and I lost my mind <laughs> when I saw that. Because I used to, I don't know... I never saw Brewster's Place. It was on PBS a lot, and I was, like, obsessed with it. So, outstanding lead actor in a comedy series was Kadeem Harrison in A Different World. Okay. And outstanding lead actor in a motion picture was Morgan Freeman in Lean on Me. Outstanding lead actress in a comedy series was Jasmine Guy for A Different World. Outstanding lead actress in a motion picture was Ruby D for Do the Right Thing. Mm -hmm. The outstanding motion picture was Lean on Me, and outstanding supporting actor in a motion picture was Ossie Davis in Do the Right Thing. The mayor. Yep. Yeah. And then the outstanding variety series was Showtime at the Apollo. Nice. <laughs> and Entertainer of the Year award went to Oprah Winfrey. But, um, I mean, the, the NAACP Image Awards, I'll just, I don't know if anyone's wondering, is the National Association, I should have said this in the beginning, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, and that awards ceremony started in 1967. Yeah, I know we've re referenced the Image Awards several times in yeah. some of these as well but yeah it's nice to see some of the uh the actors that we've come across in these yeah the, like movies. seeing like ossie davis and ruby d mm -hmm. all right so we'll move on to rankings and ratings uh where on your one to five star scale are you going to put poison i mean i was going back and forth but the more we talking about it i'm gonna give this a four four so like it elevated a little bit from yeah. us talking about it yeah i kind of think the same like it's it, it wasn't gripping me all that much while watching it in terms of the narrative i was really struggling to figure out like why the cuts were happening when they were happening you know like why was it switching stories at those exact moments other than there's this small quasi-relational event or mm -hmm. like a somewhat relating dialogue piece but it didn't seem like it really it didn't seem like it always had a direct correlation as to why it was switching back and forth um but i mean it's we've seen a couple of different movies like this like night on earth where you have multiple stories that are kind of separate uh but presented as a whole this was an interesting way to go about it, and honestly, like the filmmaking was just so 
amazing that that's what hooked my attention more so than some of the the other parts of it but i think there's other layers there um on my zero to four star scale i'm gonna i'm, I'm gonna say it's a, a man yeah I, i'm having trouble with the two i guess i'll say it's a three and a half because i think there's more to it than what i what i understand but i, I liked what i saw um filmmaking wise and so I, i'm gonna sort of answer this first would you watch this again every movie's worth watching once would you watch this again I, I would because I think I'd want to try to find more of those connections. I think especially Wait. if we can watch it with like a commentary that would be a, a yeah. easy yes I would watch this again with like more context from the director's point of view. Yeah I would watch it with commentary but one of my favorites I usually don't read other people's um, reviews or commentary on this, but one of my, I was on Letterboxd trying to just look things up, and one of my favorite reviews of this movie, or just one of my favorite reviews that I've read that made me laugh, some person said that Poison is the most Todd Haynes movie Todd Haynes has ever Todd haynes But yeah, I I would probably watch this again. Far From Heaven is is one of my favorite movies of his, um, so I'd probably go with that instead. Um, but um, this, this I think I would if I had more context to it. Anyway, if you out there want to watch Poison, as of this recording in June 2023, it's available on Prime, Canopy, Fandor, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movie1 at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the fullest of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing on the Pride Month theme with High Heels. That's on digital rental, VHS, or imported DVD. We'll see you then.